You're listening to Red Nation Online. Steve Perry, EMB Sports, Aaron Nielsen, and I'm Ian Clark. Stop me if you heard this one before. 11 TFC players are seconds away from earning points and with a costly mistake, surrender another late goal. Oh, you have heard that one before. Sorry, not very original. And what else can you say? TFC have been hard to beat, but in the league, not quite there to keep pushing for the win. We look at the collapse. New reinforcements on the field for TFC and Laba and in the front office with Liwiki, and talk about the second leg of the Voyagers Cup and TFC's place in this and the Champions League tourney for 2013. All in the next 40 minutes on Eastside Stand Up. It was a beautiful day. An, an unseasonable. I'm just saying, it was like, it was snow. I saw snowflakes at the game on Wednesday. Which is what, four days ago? Yeah. And today. And um, today we're stripping down to our white beaters. Yeah. Welcome to Canada. <laughs> um, but there was uh, nothing much else to celebrate. The statistic I've already heard uh, as we came back was I think this is of seven games. There was a goal in the 83rd minute to celebrate. Well, that's true for Toronto. But there was also a goal against at the end of the game, which the is, again, yeah. again, uh, I think the statistic is something like seven seven games that haven't been a win. So it was ties or draw, ties or losses for Toronto FC. They've all been in the second half, and I can think of three results, four results now, and I think the last five that have come in that last five minute window: Galaxy, Philadelphia, Houston, and now, and now we're looking at um, New York Red Bulls. It reminds me of, I think, season two or something. There was a season where we were always losing at the last minute. Yeah. yeah. And that was because we felt because of fitness. I don't know if that's the case here. Uh, I don't, well, you know, that's, I don't know if you well, usually say. Well, usually teams, when they're losing at the end, it's usually a, a, as a result of fitness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't, I can't say for sure because the team, although, I mean, they're definitely playing a high-pressure game off in the first half, so maybe it is something where... Or you can even say something, but again, this has been a trend in the last five weeks. I was going to say something about the weather today, unseasonably warm. But there's another team on the field who seems to be scoring at the very end of the game. Uh, well, maybe we should have played our B team from Wednesday. <laughs> they played a lot better. Yeah, they looked great. Well, they were they fighting did. for something, right? They were fighting for positions, I think. And that, the, might be, that might be the difference. So, obviously, we're back, and it's been another another... Drop points, I guess, is what they're going to call it. Obviously, after this game, a two-one loss to the New York Red Bulls, and uh, you know, New York seems to do okay at BMO Field. They time and time again. At Every least time the last I've week, been to see them, they've won. Yeah, yeah, time and time again, they come here and, and gets the job done. Although last year, I think was a draw, but the it's year so before, irritating, man. It's so irritating. Yeah, and I thought I thought this was going to be the one, the time that Toronto would come out on top uh, because they were down two guys, two key players in the midfield. In Juninho and Dax McCarty, that was I thought that was our big chance 
to make something out of this game. But I think as the game went on, you could see that they didn't have a we lot of... We just got lemons, not the lemonade. Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I was going to say they're running out of ideas. But yeah, maybe if you want if you want to spin it like that, that makes perfect sense as well. But coming into this game, I mean, that's what I wanted to highlight is that uh, the Red Bulls are a team that is a tough one to figure out, especially this season where they can't find any consistency. But you look at them on paper and you don't know how they can't be winning all these games. Um, In the previous Red Bulls games, did the uh, EPs have an effect? Because today Cahill scored twice. And Henri, you know, we were talking earlier during the game that he didn't, probably wasn't huge in the statistics, but we think that the final goal was he was part of the lead to that because um, KL was basically free other than Morgan covering him, but he basically had a free editor to win the game. And part of that is even at the beginning of the game, Henri was staying by himself at midfield and there's four Toronto defenders just looking at him the whole game, right? So even though you might not play a role statistically, you play a role significantly in terms of how, you know, how Toronto thinks and stuff like that. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think they're, you know, in awe of Henri, right? As we would all be probably on that pitch. And, yeah. and there, was, there was significant yeah. play. <laughs> there was significant play where you saw him setting up balls or yeah. having shots on net. And I, I mean, I counted at least four times when he was significantly a factor in the play yeah. up front and, you know, where it could have gone in. Had it, you know, had something gone differently, uh, and that draws players, right? Even if your, uh, yeah. even if your attention, if your your awareness is towards him, you're sort of out of the play of the other thing that's the off play, right? So totally, people are focused on Henri, yeah. regardless. And last year, I mean, when he came here, I don't think he had a direct hand, but I can think of some plays where, you know, his touch was just slightly off, and he would have scored from distance. But when we went back to but New York, today I saw some great touches. Yeah. I mean, you know. Well, I saw him even do a couple of dummies and stuff yeah, looking at the play. And totally. there's one play where the other, I don't know the name of the other New York player, but he basically missed a play. And, and Henri went up and tapped him on the head to say, <laughs> you know. And that's one of the issues with the MLS when it comes to DPs and stuff like that is, and you saw this with Beckham as well, but now Henri's been with New York for a certain amount of time. He understands what's expected of him. He understands who he's playing with and stuff like that. So even if, you know, and, and even if Toronto does go in that route and get a DP, it might take a while for him to understand his role and yeah. how he's supposed to play and, and where, where his benefits are and for stuff sure. like that. For sure, yeah. Do you want to talk about signings, seeing as we're talking about DPs? Yeah, well, we might as well. I mean, Toronto counters that, if you want to start talking about this now, is uh, teams like Los Angeles or New York get these big flashy names, and right now Toronto's gone out and got maybe a less known one in, in Matias Lava, you know, U twenty player. That's something Tim has always been asking for though, right? The yeah. young South American. Yeah. I mean that's that's the we've all, for a while we've sort of been saying We've had a couple, but nothing that's been so great. Yeah, I mean Central America is an area that we've sort of felt has been one that's been, you know, underserviced. Well Armado Guevara was you know, from Honduras. We had uh Yao Plata more recently, but I was thinking also the guy we got from River Plate in Argentina. Yeah, uh, uh, Vidi. Vidi, yeah. So yeah. we've had a few which is, which is, and again, I think we can talk about how this player is going to play, but the interesting thing about Vidi, just because you mentioned him, um, after he left Toronto FC, he went to Ecuador and was one of the top scorers in both of those leagues. Yeah. So you can't just say, just because a guy is dominant in that place, he's automatically going to be a dominant player. Here, I do like True. the Toronto sign just because he has a history of playing in the first team in Argentina for the first team in the first division. So it shows a bit more... 
Um, and I think it would probably play well with players like, I mean, most Argentinian players have flair, some kind of flair. They're good with, they usually have good touch on the ball. Yeah. And we've got a few players that play like that, like Silva and Bostock. And so I think, you know, he'll find some, he'll find familiarity or some kind of home here with those guys, with yeah. players like that. Yeah. And I think that's from what we've seen from what that his role is. It's that holding midfielder, just patrolling our 18 yard box, you know, winning balls back or tackling and getting the ball back and just turning, finding the next guy to get the ball up to. Yeah. And with Silva. So and that's Bostock, a triangle there, right? They'll, they'll, they'll yeah. probably work well together. Yeah. And he, and he, I mean, I'm only, I haven't seen him play outside of, you know, online highlight packages and knowing that he played for the Argentina team in the U20 World Cup. There's, that's what we're building it on. Of course, until he steps on the field and starts, playing MLS, it's a completely different story. But there's also the second part of it, too, is in terms of his age, uh, being 20 years old or 21 years old. Uh, like you mentioned, playing those games is a good indicator that he's not a guy like Vidi who was trying to rediscover something from three or four years ago. Yeah. He's a player who's actually, right now, playing well and in the ascent of his career. And when I'm looking at a guy, you know, people are going to, I've heard them say oh, over a million dollars for this guy. That's insane for a defensive midfielder. But there has been a history in MLS of guys like Maurice Adu, mm. uh, Sasha Kleshnine, Jeff Cameron, and even, even a Spindola. But I'm saying these are guys that were in MLS and they sold on to Europe yeah. um, that were at a relatively young age mm. and still had value overseas. So if you're looking at it from that aspect, you can say, so this is a potential for him to play for us now and, and contribute. And if he, if he doesn't become a superstar, fine. He's still contributing at the MLS level. But if he gets better, which there is room to happen... There is the potential for him to be sold on. MLS gets a cut. <laughs> we get a little bit less. But again, it's it's an investment. Yeah, well, I, and we we're again, we we're saying this during the game, but if anybody follows the MLS closely and knows Sporting Kansas City, they brought in a player last year from Barcelona B or Barcelona System named Oriol, who basically plays a sim- similar type role and stuff like that. And one of the things is, and, and we went the South American route, but it's those players in Europe, the, the transfer market plays as big a role as the success of the team. So you're not going to get a guy who's going to score 20 goals for a team in Argentina because he's going to have a price tag of 5, 10 million pounds to him. What yeah. you're going to get is these guys who are lesser known but have a chance to excel um, later on and play a role. And, 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 you know, and I think that works well. Yeah, and I think, you know, if I, I kind of want to get into the game a bit just so we can... You want to talk it, about the other news? Check it off. Well, I think we save, save head it. office news. Yeah, save, we'll save it for the end. Well, I do. I do want to run through it because obviously, this is the post game, and there is some stuff to talk about. Uh, you know, if we want to connect the dots between Sunning as defensive midfielder, you know, the one goal that we scored came from the midfielder position. Uh, you know what that means for this team, and maybe who's going to sit out, and what we saw from this game. Well, uh, an interesting, an interesting thing is you're talking about bringing in a 20 year old who. You can future, you can potentially sell on, and I guess one of the things because it's continued success is Toronto's goal scorer today, and what is his greater potential is, and is he being developed as a long haul TFC player, or is he at the point now where you can use him as a future sale thing to bring money in or, or do something with? But it's great to see him go from basically nowhere to somewhere now. Yeah, um, and obviously we're talking about Jonathan Osorio, who with the Toronto down one 0 comes in and just does a beautiful goal uh, off his left foot over top of the keeper, over top of the defenders, curls it in. Interestingly, he had, he'd been subbed in five minutes prior. Yeah. 
And and when we played, so he'd only been on the pitch for very little time. Same thing with the Galaxy game when he scored that goal. That was he'd only just been on, if I'm not mistaken, came in in the second half, and him and Silva linked up, and he scored that go ahead goal, which unfortunately <laughs> they leveled it in the dying minutes. Um, Sound like deja vu? Yeah, but on on the start of this game, it's a rerun. I, yeah, I, I want to run through just <clears throat> through it because. Obviously, the first half. Justin Braun gets injured. He gets uh, injured at the 11th minute mark. Um, I think without him, Earnshaw becomes invisible. He doesn't get any service. Uh, so he's kind of effectively neutralized, and and we don't see we don't see really very many scoring chances except from distance. At the 31st minute, Earnshaw took a crack from about maybe yeah. just like just inside the uh, the center line, like inside the center circle. And he took a shot. I mean, he's, what was what was great is that he saw the keeper off the line, and you know, he yeah. Well, no, had we his go, right? mentioned his instincts were, yeah. were sensational. Yeah, for sure. Go for it at that point. It reminds me of that, like that, you know, spectacular goal that Pele scored, right? The same idea. And uh, but I mean, you know, he didn't really. He wasn't able to get anywhere near the net without the service. And so, I mean, Wiedemann came in. He was he was a scrapper. He did okay, but he, I don't think they got the ball to Earnshaw. I mean, I think part of it is that Earnshaw is just smaller, and so he's not an aerial battle guy. He's not going to be a guy that you can get the ball to in the air, right? Yeah. You're going to have to get the ball to him on his feet, and he's going to have to make a run or some kind of diagonal run or something, right? Or it's going to be a scramble. And there was a couple of scramble balls. I mean, we did see some of those. We saw one from a corner, and, you know, they tried to – I think in the second half there was one um, that I wrote down that was pretty significant and went off a few people. But well, interesting. I think you know, taking that into account, um, one of the things <laughs> I noticed is that Toronto attempted to cross the ball a lot, but there was a lot of wayward crosses. And it's and it's almost interesting to ask: Did they have a system in place with Braun and Earnshaw in place, having the two strikers in the box at all times, saying crosses and quick crosses are important? Then he's out of the game, yeah. and the team never changed their strategy, so they still tried to attempt that, but yeah. didn't have the same assets to allow them to. Because a couple of weeks back when Braun came in, he was used that way. Oh, okay. And so it does make me think, I mean, the question I think is a good question. I think, uh, you know, it does It does seem like they might. Yeah, and during the game, uh, you know, I asked, uh, because I didn't know when Cooperman's expect to come back, because you can see mm-hmm. a great opportunity. Yeah, there, he would be right? the same role, right? For yeah. sure. I think there's three things that are worth noting. You're right, and obviously... Justin Braun losing him early on, I think, was a huge blow to the the strategy and approach we would have been having. Yeah, at least our offensive one. Yeah, and, and I think he's proven to be actually a pretty good player at holding up the ball. Yeah, and and sort of letting Earnshaw run off him. And, I thought he had a great game work. too on, on on Wednesday against Montreal. Yeah, and uh, of course the second one is Tim. Hick- we already mentioned Tim Cahill, and he scored the opening goal, which was just sort of chaos in the box and one slotted across, and he finished yeah. it nicely. Yeah. Uh, and the third one I wanted to say is kind of tying in, Braun, and what you were saying is, you know, I was sort of questioning why it was Toronto kept coming down the right side uh, towards Richter, who seems to be not the strongest at crossing a ball. When you have Ashton Morgan on the left side, who's, that's his, if you want to, if you want to be, We've if you seen, want to be critical yeah. towards Ashton Morgan about his defending this and that, the one thing you can say is he can cross a ball. Yeah. You know, he can he can do the overlap and send one in at a, at a pretty good clip. He can also carry the ball, which is something, you know, Bostock did as well, but then died at the end, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he carried it the whole pitch, but I've seen Ashton Morgan do the same uh, many times. Almost every game I see him do it. I see him run the ball down the pitch and then make a cross, whereas Bostock sort of just tried to do some backhill because he was exhausted, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so those were, and th- those are my, th- I think, three things in the first half that I yeah, sort of, and, and that's, that was it. It was like there was no adjustment made that no one saw that, okay, 
Richter is not having any success crossing the ball, yeah, and why do we keep... Richter's just in for Eckersley, yeah. right? It's true, and it's almost as if they were playing, like you're saying, playing as though Eckersley was on the field. Right, they and, didn't they did, make, and they didn't adjust. Yeah. Uh, so, and, but it, but in, in fairness to Toronto, it was one of those halves, you know, and it's, it's always um, after the fact, but it was one of those halves that if they went halftime 0-0, you thought they'd play a consistent... Like, I thought, for the most part, for most of the game, I thought player for player, you know, in the UK... They do these rating systems where they rate players 10 and throughout the lineup, and I know you guys do that a bit. And I would say player for player, um, the Toronto players outplayed the, the the New York players. You know, there was yeah. a lack of a cross in the end. There was a lack of what to do. You know, like I was amazed by the amount of and and to be honest with you, uh, you know, I've seen this is the first time I've seen the ML set game live and live. I've seen games on TV and stuff like that. But I was amazed the amount of time on the ball they had. Like guys were running from literally their own 18 to the other 18. Yeah. And confused to what to do. But, yeah, yeah. you know, if you watch a, a large amount of soccer, you that's don't true. even get those opportunities. Never. So that's either a skill set or a deficiency on the New York end. And it just, you know, again, it's one of those things where you think of the team was more, maybe a bit more skill or maybe a bit knew how to play with each other a bit more. They could take advantage of those. And I think that's the key of this whole game, where especially in Cahill's case, he took advantages of opportunities where Toronto yeah, that was did a, a lot of effort. For, and, and to be honest with you, even in the past three or four games, that's what you've noticed, right? It's it's not a case. It's Toronto putting the effort in to get that one fluke goal or glorious goal or, or you know, or, or nice goal. But, you know, it's the other team coming back and scoring. Yeah. You know, just almost, you know, you know, as a fan, you you know, you think, oh, well, okay, that's always going to happen. Well, but just an analysis, too, you can see that. Statistically, you showed me some statistics ahead of the uh, yeah. ahead of this part that we were talking about where, I mean, we outperformed statistic-wise. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and jokingly, in one of the, few, the past pods, we were talking about the stat pass or, like, the ability to, you know, pad your stats so that you can um, – show better in terms of performance and then actually get a better like get a better chance at playing or being in the starting lineup. Obviously the stats don't tell the whole story, yeah. right? Well the interesting and, and that is the difference. I mean what you're saying, the yeah. difference being that we that New York took a, took advantage was able to capitalize on their their chances. Yeah, well, no, that was the, the difference for sure. The interesting thing and funny in some sense if Toronto was playing themselves tonight, would have they scored goals? <laughs> right? Because, you know, it was it was Kale's brilliance, especially in the final goal, to get that opportunity and score the goal. And we don't, you know, maybe Earnshaw has that ability, but we don't we also don't get the space to unreprovise us, right? So it could have been a very, you know, industrious nil-nil draw if Toronto was playing themselves today. It was New York's you know, DP access and, and their yeah. their their key players that yeah. allowed them. But to, again, maybe it's just that's the difference in quality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where a team like, you know, someone like Cahill or Henri, they only need the one chance to score. Yeah. Whereas Toronto, like Robert Earnshaw, needs four chances to score. Yeah. And he's even like we've mentioned before, he's on, he's quoted saying, I need to be missing chances because then I know I'm getting them. Which, again, I'm, it still makes me scratch my head. I know what he's getting at is that he wants to have lots of chances on goal, but sure. I'd rather see him get one or two and finish one of them, obviously. And I think that's sort of where we're at. And we've seen it for the last couple of years where, you know, opposition comes into Toronto and they only say San Jose last year is one that stands out to me, the home opener where they only had one or two counters or Columbus came in here and they only had that one counter and they scored on it. And Toronto had all the possession at the end of the game and all these chances. And it was, they could miss the net. They could hit the post, but they couldn't put it in. Well, I don't know. One of the things that it suggests to me is that we don't have, um, a, we don't have solid people up front. I mean, we have Earnshaw, and now Bronze Hurt, 
Kovermans is on the bench still. So who who else? Who's stepping in? Like Wiedemann, I think he's you know half decent. Yeah. But I don't think he's going to get us the goals. No. So well, I, don't one, know, one, I don't know who else we've got up there, right? One of the thing, and this is for future games. One of the things that did worry me about Earnshaw today is the expectation of him to score. I know, and in a couple of places, I know Silva did this on a couple of times where he went into the opponent's box and looked for Earnshaw. And he could have took a shot. He could have yeah, been. Sure. And, 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 and the thing is, I think Silva could finish properly, right? Okay. I also this think Bostock could finish. Sorry. Yeah, his independency, right? The fact that he took that shot, that he took the opportunity exactly. when it was ahead of him, yeah. gave us that opportunity. Every yeah. other play, even in the offensive zone, every other play, was a short pass, a play, something like that. It wasn't an individual's, you know, skill or an individual's commitment. It was yeah, maybe maybe that's the difference. So sorry, I wasn't playing the system, right? Yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, like we can get into that a little bit more because you know a bit about his background of where he's coming from, and it's, he's an interesting player because he's come in mostly off the bench, and he's and he's made some contributions. I mean, when he had his one start, uh, he got subbed at half. It wasn't great, but. You know, the last couple of games he's played, he's looked pretty good. And I think this goal, he's now got a second goal of the year. It's he's, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And you also have to look at the quality of the goal. I mean, it was, there's not a lot of guys that I would have thought of on Toronto that would have had that touch. No. Maybe just one or two. It and, felt like a highlight goal. Yeah. Like it's one of those yeah. things. He tucked it underneath the crossbar. It was beautiful. For a 20 year old. Yeah. yeah. To sort of have that sense to go on his left foot and curl it in, which, if I'm not mistaken, he's obviously can now work on both feet. Which is a huge is asset. Ambidextrous, yeah, possibly, yeah. But well, regardless, he got it. I mean, it was a decent shot for if it was a wrong foot. It was a de- decent shot for a wrong foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and again, it brings up the question of criticism, right? Because is it a case of Nelson being too conservative and too set up to standard and not giving players an opportunity to excel yeah. and things like that? Now, again, it's it's sort of a catch twenty two, right? Because on one end, they you need have a system, you certain amount of points a season. They're certainly doing better than last season. And last season was too ambitious. And now we're almost into a point, are we going to be too conservative? And and, and one of the things is just as a, f- a fan and of interest, do you want to do you want to go through 30 more games where the first scoring opportunity happens in the 80th minute? No. You know, just as a fan, you <laughs> want some sort of entertainment or some sort of, you know, right? And what I know is, and again, you know, I wasn't, you know, I've seen a lot of soccer in the past and I wasn't overly critical, but... It keeps you on the edge of your seat though. Yeah. And and the first, you know, and again, I think the first half, they're building momentum, they're building position, they're building things. It's just, what can you do with that? And where can that, where can that bring you? Well, you know, my answer for what you're saying is, is is Nelson setting out to do this? And the answer is yes. I mean, he's, he's come out and said, we want to be a team that's tough to beat. Yeah. And, and, but I would also, you know, add on to that as saying, I think his approach right now is one step at a time knowing where this team was when he inherited it. So the first thing he wants to do is make sure they're tough to beat. He's not saying we want to go out there and make sure, take all three points. I think he knows that they're not very good uh, up front or through the midfield. So what can he take care of? Defending and make sure that, you know, we're a hard team to beat, but we're not quite there as a team that's going out there to win. So I think that is the end. I think that's what we're seeing right now in these results and the kind of approach that's going out there, that rush it like shit, it's the end of the game and this is what's happening. We're either dropping points or whatever. And it's like, yeah, because the team right now, the but philosophy. But it feels different though. It does, yes. I mean, I would say that it feels different from previous years. For sure. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that. But I'm just saying that in previous years or even last year, I mean, the product was so terrible. I don't even know what the philosophy was. I mean, I don't think they were saying we want to be tough to beat. They were just saying whatever. 
mm-hmm. and we were just throwing whatever plays were out there and making changes for the sake of it without any kind of short mid well i would say there was a lot of short-term vision but maybe no mid and long-term vision so was the last goal the 89th minute goal that gayhill scored was that I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the play. I mean, I remember it breaking down on Richter's side. Yeah. I mean, the ball came through. I think Richter was caught, and uh, like I think he was caught up maybe because he wasn't anywhere near where he should have been. Yeah. Well, uh, I can I can up, picking up the the guy who came through, and I don't the ball came. I remember the ball coming across, and then I remember it going in the net, but I don't remember where who was picking up who in the middle. I didn't see the lineup. Do, do yeah, you guys we see? we had some concern. It was Morgan or yeah. Or so. I saw the play breaking down. From the left side? Yeah, yeah, the keeper sent it in long. Well, not that long. He had the ball quite far forward. And uh, Morgan had a chance to clear it, and he put it right into the middle of the park. And uh, New York picked also, it up. Also, it was a bad clearance. It was a very bad clearance. And they they just kind of spread it out wide to the... to The, what, the opposite side, right yeah. side. Yeah, and then they just... And then he just lobbed it over the top, and Cahill climbed over the defender and headed yeah. it in. And we were, you know... Prior or on the walk home it was a stat that I knew off the top of my head, but that Cahill is was actually the all-time leading header goal scorer in the EPL history. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so like he oh. is. He is thirty-one. I think, I think we had. I think we had something like fifty-four goals scored in the EPL. He's headed thirty-four of them in. So, yeah. So no, he's no, just so that's like his, so it's it, yeah it's his expectation. That's the way he scores. Sort of what you kind of get. Even the first goal, which. I don't know if it was a header, but that sort of scrappiness, right? That was his. And it's interesting, you know, he was he was coming to the MLS because his his mo in uh, England wasn't a skill player, but his scrappiness and determination. And and again, I guess in some sense, it's an asset to the MLS because you do get those. You know, the defenders are not at the highest level, so you do have those battles in the box and the battles in the box. And and what he's known for. Is this his determination and knowing what to yeah. know, do in those situations? Yeah. Maybe looking behind. I don't know. So, do you want to go back to look at what happened on Wednesday? Well, we can tie them in together. And then, of course, I mean... Is it called the Amway? Isn't it called the Amway Cup? Yeah. So he shouldn't call it the Voyager Cup, should he? Well, the, the trophy is called the Voyager's Cup. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. But the tournament is sponsored by Amway, so they call it the Canadian Amway Championship. Make it fi- hashtag make it five. Did you see that? <laughs> Well, that's it. It's, We're going it's, for- so, it's so important of a tournament that well, we uh, started our bench. Well, you know, here's but here's you know what I wanted to I wanted to have a, like a little discussion about this about you know what to, considering where Toronto FC is now in terms of another build. I don't like the term rebuild because it, <laughs> no. it, it implies something had been built in the first place, right? And, and it's like and, do, and do it's you, an awful term because uh, we've uh, we've they've used it every year, right? Yeah. We already said they cashed it in two years ago, a rebuild, so they can't yeah. use it anymore. Right. There's sort of something where, uh, considering where this club is in terms of trying to get things on track, you know, focusing on a, a, two competitions at once in the midst of this, is that what you want to be doing? Playing these extra games while trying to at least keep your head above water in the league. No, but he rested most of our players, most and, of our starters, right? So it was smart. And that's sort of that. And he still got a result out of it. That's the tidbit that I was like, wow, if they can do pull it off like that, then then I don't care because I would have said, I honestly would have said, get the team in order first, and then and then when the team, you know, you have your depth chart, and you're actually performing half decent, yeah, let's start t- thinking about maybe you should start more of the bench and get the the first the the first string fighting for the positions. Yeah, my I, only, I mean, I don't know. I agree. I but I agree with that. That's that was what I'd follow up with saying. Steve is saying. We have a lot of young guys on the team now, more than we've had in the past, that might have some potential. And 
Yeah, let them let them have that tournament. I mean, I think there was only two or three. It also guys. gives them experience, right? I mean, game experience. You can't replace game experience, especially when it comes. I mean, you know, this has happened to us so many times. Like middle season, people are off on international duty, or there's injuries, and as even at down at the home stretch, like at the end of the season, or we don't have players anymore. Our players, our good players, are all injured. Right? Yeah. It happened to us a countless times. Yeah, I was going to mention that. And I was going to say it in a form of Got to get the bench stronger, right? A devil advocate, because if you look at, um, if you qualify through the Canadian Championship, that means you go into the CONCACAF Champions League. And at that point, if the team is willing to commit to these young players, give them games in that tournament, I would support that more than trying to win that thing. Because a, a good example of that in the current MLS season is Seattle Sounders. And they went and pay, put huge money or MLS style for trying to get Martins and stuff like that. Try to switch their team up because they thought they had a chance of winning the CONCACAF Champions League this year. And, you know, they get eliminated quite easily by the Mexican team. And at the same point, they're in last place in the Western Division. So any tournament, and, and this works in every league, right? You know, EPL where you have Tottenham and they're in the, they're in the Europa Cup and then they lose to Wigan the next week because all their players have been used the previous yeah. weekend in, yeah. in this tournament. Yeah. So... If you allow, if if you stay the course, I think it's great. And you know, just as you know, just the opportunity to see Mexican teams play at BMO Field I and know. stuff like it's that. It's amazing, right? But if you make it a priority, there's a lot. You know, then you're going to cause another rebuild because now you have an excuse. Look, we made it to the quarterfinals of the Concacaf League. Look, we're better now. We need to, you know, and and that's the problem. You can't give them excuses. Well, I and, think I think there's been. Uh, a precedent as well when MLS teams have gotten into those knockout stages of the Champions League when you start with Real Salt Lake and you look at Toronto FC and in this year you look at Seattle that it's almost like the further the team goes and the more they commit themselves to the tournament the worse off they are in that first half of the year even the Galaxy to an extent who bowed out earlier had a terrible start to the 2012 season and it's just a matter of happened to us last year didn't it? Yeah Yeah. and you know we obviously we lost our first nine games in a row it was our worst season ever Real Salt Lake went in there and they went down to the finals and it's also because the MLS gives them these games off and it's really hard for them to shift gears back into the league I think it's I think it's mentally it's really difficult for teams to get their heads back wrapped into a full season after hitting the pinnacle of a tournament at the beginning of the year uh, well, in, in, in reality, it's a different tournament too, right? Your style of play, but it feels like also a different so. year. Yeah, well, yeah, the way the system is <laughs> set up, too, right? yeah, because you're you're celebrating in the fall of the previous year that we've gotten through the group stage, yeah. but you're not seeing the benefits of it for another four months and in hitting those huge games like the semifinals or the quarterfinals. Yeah. So I think we're looking at this year's Voyagers Cup, and I would uh, that's that's the approach that. I would it's feel it's kind of screwed up for the um, like Mexicans and South Americans or the Mexicans and Central Americans too because don't their leagues are just starting at the end of, like in the fall aren't they? So yeah, when we are going into the group stage, and they're starting their fall season. We're we're sort of on different ends of the seasons, yeah, right? But yeah. when they're but when it's in the knockout stages, they're sort of down the stretch of their right. of their second season, right? Yeah, right. So it's almost it's crazy, like, right? Yeah, it seems crazy. Yeah, by that point they're cooking and they're totally ready. Gonna, I don't know how this works, really, it, but it's great to. I, well, mean, I don't. Want, I don't think we should change it though. That's the yeah. thing because I want to see these teams. That's all. Again, the whole and, and you know and 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 it's interesting because we do have this short tournament in and and Edmonton can win two games and be in the final kind of thing, right? sure, which is yeah. a little weird compared to a Champions League anywhere else. But basically, a Champions League equals commitment. Like you're going to go for it, and, yeah. and to me, 
you know, as an observer of soccer and just, you know, as, as I would actually like Vancouver to win it because I think they'll try to go for it. Now, I think it might hurt them as much as it helps them. But, you know, you could see them trying to bring in players, doing whatever it takes and, and sure. all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and I just think with, in the case of Toronto, it just messes up their system, right? Because it doesn't, you know, except, as, as you said earlier, if they use it as a development ground, then I think it can be beneficial. And that's where we're looking, obviously, ahead to Wednesday against Montreal. And I would almost but, say... But it was great to see them do well against Montreal. Last it was week. amazing. I mean, especially the squad that we've never really seen. Yeah, it was super exciting. I think, like I said, there was only two or three guys who who were on there from the starting the week the weekend before. And we played Montreal already this year. We have, and we, we got mean, and we got beat badly, didn't we? Two to one, two well, to one. Toronto looked better in the second half of that. I game. thought we did look better. I thought we looked good in the game, I, but I, I remember people not being very happy about the performance from Toronto, and I thought it was just bad luck, really. Yeah. Um, well, Morgan gave a penalty, yeah. um, and and we were down. Uh, we came back, but it was it was a little bit too little, too late. But you know what? I think it's been again the the theme of the season has been just those like fleeting moments of something great from Robert Earnshaw. Not there has yet to be that sort of. But you could argue possibly on Wednesday that was probably one of the first ninety well, minutes. His fleeting where, moments though were better, much better than Chad Barrett ever, <laughs> right? I mean, of course, Earnshaw is a huge improvement from what we've seen in the past. Even like Coverman's wasn't. I like seeing Coverman's play, but he. He was injured most of the times last year, right? So he wasn't really fit. And Earnshaw's at least an improvement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, and, and, and I, I actually wrote an article about this on Red Nation Online. But, you know, of course, Earnshaw's been playing 10, 12 years in England, so I'm quite familiar with him. And his enthusiasm is great. Like, if you ever see him he on a talk like show a or something involved in England, and this is oh, in yeah. England when he's in this, you know, he's, he deserves, he feels he should be better, but he's in a championship in England. And he's still, you know, the, the life of the party kind of thing. So, you you know, he's one of those guys, and, and it's interesting, you know, not to bring back to the game, but with Cahill. You know, it's these guys who are determined to succeed no matter what league and situation they're in who are going to be rewarded by MLS. It's the guys who think they're better than MLS who are not going to have that conversion. Yeah, the same yeah. Conversion. and that's, you know, I think that's a good, good segue into this last little bit. Of course, we've talked about Laba. And that's always a concern when you bring in someone, uh, what their attitude and what their mentality is going to be coming into this league, coming from, you know, the Argentina Premier is, is highly technical. And, you know, will he adjust to MLS, which is notoriously bad for refereeing? Uh, and as well, just the general technical quality is not quite as good, although the physical and athletic is, is pretty high. Going- well, and also to bring the conversation to a circle, what does Nelson expect out of them? Is you going to give him some freedom, or is he going to, you know, say, "I just want you to be a defensive, um, you know, or put defensive emphasis"? And and you know, again, as you said, I've only saw a video on the guy. You know, I know, you know, the one issue, and again, it's hard to tell because you're talking about bad refereeing in in uh, MLS, but there's also bad refereeing in Argentina. <laughs> but you know, I know that the the only complete season he played, I think he got red carded three times in that year, right? So there is a little sort of craziness uh, associated with him, and you don't know how that properly converts to an MLS. He does have a lot of yellows, too. I, yeah. I checked out that side. He does have a lot of yellows, which is, I think that goes hand-in-hand hand with his his style of play, which yeah. is just he goes in and tackles hard. Yeah. Um, so that could be a double-edged sword. Or, where, or on top of that, the frustration. It could be a motivator, though, On right? top of that, yep. the frustration. It could be a motivator. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then, like the way Eckersley motivates, right? With yes. his crunching tackles? It could be a motivator. Yeah. And the city of Toronto loves players like that. We do. Um, and then the last little tidbit I would be, we'd be remiss not to just discuss for a minute, of course, is 
you know, we often on the podcast have lamented about our ownership group, the people at the top, those who are pulling the strings. Uh, you know, we got a, a, what we may have described as a slight improvement with an experienced president at Toronto FC and Kevin Payne. And now uh, one guy that we lamented about almost endlessly, Tom Anselmi, seems to be sufficiently put aside. And Emily C goes out and gets uh, Laiwiki, uh, the former CEO and president of AEG, who is the group that ran the LA Lakers, LA Kings, LA Galaxy, three teams who all very recently have won titles in their respective leagues. And have associations to about 15 football clubs in Europe as well. So. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is a big shooter, obviously, coming in. And one thing that I think uh, Toronto FC fans should keep an eye on when mentioning or hearing the name Laiwiki is he's a big believer that marquee signing DPs are essential. Um, not just a designated player, but a big name. Uh, and of course, he was part of, you know, well, I guess you could say Victoria Beckham was a big part of David Beckham coming in the Galaxy, but Laiwiki was as well. Uh, just, you know, I guess you could say 50 50 between two is, is credited for bringing him to the league. Well, it happened under him, so. Yeah. Well, at least he gives Toronto press. As I, I was I was reading a uh, UK tabloid yesterday, and one of the small um, articles was Lamport to Toronto FC. So, <laughs> so you know, in some sense, he's, he's you know, it's true or not. He's yeah. just giving Toronto some more national so variety. We can, yeah, so we can kind of go through this stretch where we're talking about what we're seeing, and I'm talking about the quality but there's some changes up above. And, you know, it's like I also want to say another you know expression that we used in terms of how this organization has been run in past is, you know, a fish rots from the head down. And now we have someone at the top in Laiwiki, who someone directly below him is Kevin Payne. Before we had someone at the top who knew nothing about football, who really knew nothing about sports, uh, and he's looking down on uh, guys who just don't have the experience. You know, Toronto FC was definitely a place where you got – the chance to learn on the job. Mm-hmm. And the more the team failed, well, you have just as good a chance of getting promoted. In fact, you have a better chance of getting promoted in the organization <laughs> at the failure of this club. Well, and the other interesting thing about Lewicki, if you look at his track record in AEGs, they have a very uh, standoff relationship with the Lakers because of the bus uh, family, and they have a fairly standoff relationship with the Kings. So the only emphasis they can make, and, and they were very influential in, in Beckham coming, is in the soccer side. So, you know, in terms of, as I said, in terms of headlines and interest of that, you know, this is how he's going to make a presence, right? And this is probably how he sold himself to the main board, saying this is where my influence is going to be because I have firsthand experience with yeah, the Galaxy who are the champions and who have multiple DPs. Yeah. <laughs> multiple times, more DPs than they're even allowed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, so, I mean, that's something. We're in Toronto. There's always hope no matter how bad the team is. And even when we're 0-9, there is always that glimmer. But uh, I don't know. Well, it's better news, and it keeps getting better a little bit, you know? Yeah. Then hearing something like... But it, it could only go up. Yeah. From last year, right? It's true. I mean, that so, was the expression in their episode of the season. It said, hell, we might have been dropping these points. It's still better than 2012. It's right. always That's always going to be the bad, lowest in benchmark. Yeah, that's always going to be the barom- That's always going to be the benchmark we'll set uh, how bad this team is. Was it worse than 2012? And you don't have to talk about the 0-9. It's but the that, full season. We should never use that because... Don't give it a... Don't, no excuses. doesn't deserve that recognition. But on that point... And it becomes an excuse for every, everything else to look great. Right? Yeah, it's true. Which is maybe a misnomer. We yeah. should never use that. Uh, so, looking ahead then. No excuses. We got to get through this next round. Yeah. 
um, against Montreal away. We'll be back for that. I'm going to be covering that away game. So don't worry. Eastside Stand Up will be back that week. And wrapping it up, uh, Aaron, Twitter handle? Uh, EMB Sports. EMB Sports. You can get him there. Steve Perry, you can just get him through the general inbox at yeah. Red Nation Online. Info at Red Nation Online or have I'm, your say. I'm not supporting to the flash crash. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I was listening about that today. Yeah. Don't want anything to do with it. No one's gonna no one's gonna hack into the my Clark RNO Twitter and, and set the stock markets crashing. Don't worry about that, Clark RNO. And uh, we'll catch you guys midweek. Eastside Stand Up is the only Toronto C specific podcast breaking down the game right after it happens. We want you to be involved. Reach out to us on Twitter through hashtag ESSU or at Red Nation Online. You can email us at have your say at Red Nation Online or info at Red Nation Online. Get into the discussion on Toronto FC through Eastside Stand Up and Red Nation Online. They'll understand you, for you are him.